Hello there, friends. This is Spencer Michelle, and today we're going to be talking about the sun's movement through the second decan of Aries. I hope that you're all doing well out there and having a nice Aries season. We will discuss the sun sextile with Saturn today, its conjunction with some of the fixed stars in the royal family, including Alderamin and Alpharats. And then we will take a look at the last quarter moon phase with the Capricorn moon squaring the second decan Aries sun. We'll talk a little bit about the sun's degree of exaltation. Um, we will break down the three of wands, uh, which has some correspondences with this decan. And we will do an I Ching reading at the end to tie a bow on it and help us to figure out what the essence is and what we can do to move forward. All right, so let's take a look. We'll dive right in here. Okay, we've got our, we've got our screen here. We're going to look at the time frame between March the 30th at about 7.55 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time and April the 9th. At around 11.33 a.m. is when the sun will leave this decade and move into the final 10 degrees of Aries. So we're, we're looking at the section between 10 and 20 degrees of Aries. This, of course, is the decade that has the sun's maximum degree of exaltation. So that occurs at about 19 degrees of Aries. So if we are breaking down the condition of the sun... We are thinking of the sun as an honored guest right now in the house of Mars, its host. Uh, it is able to govern very well in this area of the zodiac. The sun had some things to do with um, awareness, with governance, with the king. They thought of the sun as the king in ancient astrology. So this is sort of about saying, okay, we are going to be sovereigns of our own um, chosen state, I guess we could say. In the first decade of Aries, the, the sun was trying to establish new territory. We saw that with the, the two of wands and the um, attempts to break free from the womb and cut the umbilical cord. And now we're moving into a space where we are trying to make, make some new rules, right? We're trying to figure out, okay, we've left behind this parent plant, this parent country, and now we have to learn how to manage um, all of these new situations. That, and we may be going off into this new territory that we fought very hard to establish. And, and now we've got to figure out how we're going to manage all of it, right? A lot of the solar decans in the tarot and in like the explorations that Austin Kopic and T. Susan Chang have done in their great books, 36 Faces and 36 Secrets, respectively, talk about administration of power in, in those particular decans. Um, and in this case, we're really trying to just um, figure out what the new, the new law of the land is going to be that we are trying to establish. Now, we may run into some difficulty uh, trying to build a blueprint that works for everyone as we encounter the last quarter moon square around the 4th of April. But we'll get to that over the course of our exploration here. Okay, so we, in addition to the sun being the honored guest at the height of its power in uh, Aries 2, the sun also has dignity by triplicity rulership uh, as the triplicity ruler of the fire signs by day. So this adds a little bit of oomph to the sun's power. Uh, it, it generally, I think, was associated with having communal support for your endeavors. The medieval astrologers associated it with kind of being amongst the same members of your guild or like a group that you had a common interest with and having their... Um, I don't know, encouragement. I think that uh, another way to think about this is when we look at the Thema Mundi, uh, different planets have different relationships based on their, uh, their arrangement to one another. And all of the planets, I'm sorry, all of, yeah, all of the planets or the, the houses in the Thema Mundi 
have a triangular trine relationship with those of the same element. So one of the extrapolations that I've seen done by various teachers is associating the, the triplicity dignity with the nature of Jupiter, which is, has to do with the, the trine in the Thema Mundi, because the sun is trined uh, Jupiter, okay? Jupiter being the ruler of Sagittarius. So you can see the sun is trined uh, Jupiter and Sagittarius in, in the theoretical natal chart of the world, which is called the Thema Mundi. We can also see the moon is trined from Cancer to Jupiter's nocturnal home in Pisces. So this is one of the, the kind of theoretical rationales of why uh, triplicity, dignity, and trines may be somewhat of the nature of Jupiter. So this is where we have something that is giving support, something that is bringing order, something that is bringing honor, growth, and abundance to whatever situation we are looking at. And the sun is associated with vitality, and it is the, the force that creates growth, right? It is the force that helps warm the soil so it can become uh, fecund, right? That's one of our favorite Austin Catholic words, fecundity, where the soil is getting heated up and helping to promote the growth of spring. So we can see the return of that solar power right now. And it is a lot of the associations we see with the, the power inherent with the sun and Aries is that when we approach the spring equinox, the sun starts to take over as being uh, having longer days than nights. So this, the sun's daylight power is, is ascending, and we will ascend in that power until we reach the summer solstice, and then the sun will start to, to descend in the sky, literally descend in its celestial, I guess you could call it its latitude, uh, how high it rises in the sky, it will start to descend. But we're still in upward mobility here, and we're really trying to push through uh, and use martial force to create a new start, to uh, individuate and, and try to craft some kind of individual territory that we may be able to then create the rules for uh, that which we are experiencing right now. Okay, so this Deccan also has to do with leadership, like creating a royal decree um, this is the active growth period that could happen after the seed breaks through the soil. I was reading this really great book that I've been very interested in lately. This is sort of a, uh, inspired by Austin Coppock's 36 Faces. This is 36 Secrets by T. Susan Chang. And she did her little, um, her decanic uh, journey, I guess you could say. And I don't know if it was it was little or anything. I just it, it was just a, a an exploration of the decans where she would um, journal and do blog posts about her experiences through through a, a decanic journey throughout the course of a year. I've done something similar to that with uh, my journal. Um, I did it with the moon actually. It was really interesting. I would you know really try to get the vibe of what what was happening uh, through the different lunar decans. Um, but there's many different ways to take a, a decanic journey and to try to get firsthand experience about what you may what you may be um, going through with these different decans. Again, keeping a journal is really important. That's probably my number one recommendation for becoming better at things like astrology and other divinatory systems that you may you know work with over the course of time. Um, one of the ways that I've been able to become, I think, more competent with the, these, all of these arts and trying to integrate them together is by using them every day. It's just showing up for your divinatory art. I say the same thing about songwriting, too. You've got to show up at the guitar. You've got to show up at the piano. You've got to show up at the easel if you're a painter, or you've got to pick up the pen and paper if you're a writer. And um, a lot of things can really be accomplished just by being present and um, getting started. So we've got this getting started energy of Aries. But back to T. Susan Chang's exploration of, of Aries 2, she compares it to Jack and the Beanstalk. And I thought that was a really interesting way of thinking about Aries decans in general. 
Uh, she, she described the first Deccan as the pressure to explore a new world where Jack would trade the beans for, or his cow. He traded his cow for, for these magic beans. And he planted the beans under the ground and they had the, the force to break through the ground, right? And in this second Deccan, she explore, it, you know, compares it to the beanstalk shooting upwards at great speed and with great rapidity into this completely new world. So that's the phase we may be in right now where the, the beans, we've planted the seeds maybe at that first decade and maybe tried to break through that soil. And now we've got this, this growth that we're seeing happening and it may be almost uncontrollable at some level. Um, it may be going a little faster than we expected or something of that nature. We do have uh, sextiles between the sun and Jupiter and Saturn and a sextile with Mars in Gemini right now as well. Um, the only other aspect we're seeing with the sun is a square to Pluto. So we have to really be careful that we're not um, using nefarious means to get where we're going. I think that's one caution I have with a, a Pluto sun contact and, and really being able to uh, see what we're trying to build um, from all levels, not just what is above ground, but what is the foundation that we are building from as well? What are we using to support ourselves? And do we have any issues that are lying um, fallow in the soil that could threaten to corrupt the thing that we're building. I think that's really important right now too with the Sun-Pluto um, whole sign square is whenever we're starting a new cycle, it's important to root out some of the, the junk that we may still be harboring from the old cycles. Because if we don't get an awareness and shine light on those underworld feelings those underworld resentments, those underworld fears, we may be doomed to repeat them in the in the next cycle and bring them with. So it's kind of like uh, really understanding how to create soil that will become fertile. If you don't take all the rocks out of the soil that you're planting in before you plant new seeds, that growth is not going to be as um, abundant as it could be if you were to remove the rocks first. So I think this Pluto uh, aspect here by whole sign is, is really encouraging us to remove some of the obstacles that lie underneath the ground that we want to plant our new, you know, experiences in. Um, so T. Susan Chang talks about in the, in the next deck, and we'll get to that when we talk about the sun, but in, in Aries, um, Aries three associated with the four of wands, entering the giant's world of, of wealth and abundance and um, maybe trying to win over the hostile audience. I think that was one of the things that Austin Kopic talked about in his book, 36 Faces, is uh, Aries 3 is a, is a Venus world decan where we're trying to gain a following. We're trying to celebrate uh, the, the hard-won authority. And maybe in that Jack and the Beanstalk kind of story, we may be trying to win over this hostile uh, giants that we don't get eaten, you know, so, but in this current period of time, we are, you know, we're coming off of the full moon where we had to make an adjustment to uh, the people in our life and, and maybe start to learn how to use some kind of social decorum when we are asserting our own individual identity. Um, there is a certain way that you can assert your individuality that is more likely to get a positive response rather than running roughshod all, all over every relationship in your life. Um, having a little bit of grace can really, you know, smooth the road ahead for you. And I think we figured that out at this, at this full moon. And we had experiences where we had to make some adjustments for the partnerships in our life and for the social customs and social graces that will hopefully lead to a better experience in the future. One of the other things that I thought was really interesting about T. Susan Chang's exploration was she talked about the movement from Mars decans to solar decans. And this happens fairly regularly in the tarot because we have like a, a Chaldean order that we're moving through, a descending Chaldean order. So we move from conquest to governance is what she says. So we are we are trying to separate from something so that we can bring awareness and bring light to something. So we have, uh, we may have experienced the conflict with the sun moving through Aries one, but that may have really given us some of the 
um, gnosis that we can usually associate with the sun. We always want to govern from uh, awareness. We want to govern from a place of light where we know what we are getting ourselves into. We are drawing from these heavenly powers. They, they, I mean, this is the way they thought of royalty in the past is that it was, it was this kind of divine, um, oh, I don't know, bestowing this divine power on the king or the queen, right? This divine right. So that, that assumes, though, that they are mouthpieces for divinity that has the good of the whole in mind. Now, this isn't always true with, with leaders and, and royalty in the past. There have been selfish, um, despotic rulers, but there have also been other rulers who have um, realized that the best way to rule is to be in service of the people that you are trying to, to govern and to lead. The best leaders are always trying to consider the needs of the people that they are trying to lead. So that's something else I would consider as we move forward through this decade. Okay, so let me see what else I've got here for you. One of the things that we are thinking about here is the three of wands. Now in this card, I'm going to stop my share for just a second so you can see it. In this card, we see a figure that is cloaked in red, and he is facing away from us into a bay, leaning on one of these three wands or staves. And he is looking out at some ships that may be going out to sea or returning. So this is where we've initiated action, and we are waiting for the return of you know success. And we are still, excuse me, we're still leaning on support of potentially the, the mother land, the mother womb, things of that nature. We haven't completely gotten to the point of separation and individuation yet. We're close, but we're still trying to establish ourselves within these new territories. So this is definitely a period of waiting as well. So that's something to consider as we, as we move forward through this, this area of the zodiac with the sun. All right. So... One thing that we want to continue to look at here is when we are waiting for things in our life, I think it's it's possible um, or it is more beneficial to be waiting with a positive, hopeful expectation um, instead of with fear. So this is the thing. If you've made a new start, instead of worrying whether it's going to work or not, uh, I think that the best way to go about it is praying for what the, you what you want to happen. You know, really, really visualize what it is that you want. Put that energy out into the world, and then uh, allow it to happen. You know, pray for it to happen. Work with the rhythms of nature to allow it to support you. Okay, you had to make the start, the initiation, but then you have to work with the natural cycles. Um, to to facilitate that growth. Again, I, I talk about gardening, and when we garden, we have to plant the seeds. We have to take the action. Uh, we have to water the the proper amount, not too much. We have to make sure it has enough light, enough sun. We have to fertilize it when the time is 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 right. But if we try to do all of those things in the wrong order, if we don't prepare the soil by removing the rocks and turning it over. If we try to water too much, if we put plant our seeds in a place of darkness, um, the return on our investment of time will not be as abundant and fruitful as it could have been had we worked with the, the rules that we needed to follow to create growth. There are definitely certain things that we have to follow when we're, when we're working with incarnation, when we're working with manifestation energy. Okay. Like you can't plant a seed in a pile of rocks and expect it to grow as abundantly as it would if you were planting it in fertile, loamy, well-fertilized soil that is fecund, fecundity, fecundated. <laughs> is that a word? I don't know. I'm just making up words now. <laughs> um, so prepare your fields. You know, plant them in the right spaces, tend to the fields with 
the right behavior, the right conduct. This is something that will come up in our I Ching reading. Uh, there are definitely um, rules to this new territory that you're trying to establish. And if you um, don't respect the, the, the rules of nature, you could experience a defeat. Uh, that, that's something that we talked about, I think, in the last Deccan as well, is respecting, um, respecting the, the new territory that you're moving into. We told a story uh, in the I Ching about a nomadic uh, tribe that was moving into a new territory and was hosted as a guest by uh, a more agricultural community. And the leader did this dance for the for the king of that land, but inadvertently created lust in the in the the um, agricultural king's wife, and this was not good. <laughs> and the nomadic uh, leader was executed, and the plans didn't come to fruition. So, you kind of have to be vigilant when you're moving into a new experience, so that you don't make a uh, a, a mistake that is uh, irreparable doesn't mean that we won't make any mistakes. I think that we will. I think that it's okay to make mistakes. But again, if you slow down a little bit, I actually pulled an animal for this reading too. I got the sloth. <laughs> I got the guinea pig and the sloth. Uh, and it talks about pre being prepared, being properly prepared and, you know, slowing down and respecting the need to rest every once in a while with this powerful surge of energy that you may be wanting to take. Okay. So let's take a look at the transits. Now, in my last video with Venus in Aries 2, I talked a lot about the daimon or spirit of this Deccan, which is Persephone. So if you want to get some insight into the Persephone myth, um, please take a look at that video, Venus in Aries 2, because I did much more of a deep dive in that, in that area. Now, Persephone was also a queen. She had royal... A royal nature as well. She was the queen of the underworld. Now there was there was force, a young force associated with this, but eventually she came into sovereignty in her new territory after the conflict um, was resolved with having a balanced kind of um, I don't know sharing Persephone in the above ground world with Demeter and with Hades below. So again, this may speak to the compromises that may have been needed throughout this lunar cycle and this and this solar cycle as well. All right, so if we take a look at the aspects that we're going to be looking at, the first thing that we are seeing is the sun is going to be making a sextile on the 31st with Saturn. As I'm recording this, I'm a, a, little, a day behind here, but that's okay. You know, when you're making a lot of content, that happens. Um, so Sun-Saturn sextile. We can see that Saturn is in the overcoming position to the Sun, probably putting the brakes a little bit on our um, Marshall Solar Initiative. Uh, this, but this is a positive thing. This isn't. This shouldn't feel as much like a frustration, rather than a welcomed slowing of the pace that is encouraging us to take the longer view as we cross this transition to a new world that we are trying to create. Saturn right now is moving through the second decan of Aquarius, which is associated with the Six of Swords, where we see a figure that is crossing a river, crossing into a new territory, leaving something behind. So we we have to consider with Saturn being the planet that is furthest away from the Earth in the traditional system, we have to take a long-range view to see if this self-initiated action is in alignment with what we want to create for the rest of our life, for a longer-term picture. And I, get, I think that we may be experiencing some frustration because we have... Mars moving through the second decan of Gemini. And that is the host of the sun here. And I, I don't know about all of you, but I definitely am trying to make a new start into new territory. I recently uh, finished my apprenticeship with 
Nightlight Astrology and, and my teacher, my astrology teacher, Achyuta Bhavadasa, I've been studying with him for almost, I would say, two and a half years now. And uh, that is, um, was been a, has been a great learning experience. Um, it has been an intense uh, time commitment as well. I was doing nightlight astrology, you know, year one. I did his year two course. I did his horary course. I actually took year two and horary twice because I wanted to really understand all of those concepts. And um, every weekend I would show up and I kept showing up. That's what you got to do. You got to show up for your art, for your education, all of those things. And it was, it was a big time commitment, but I learned a lot of things and I met a lot of very cool people and, and a good community that uh, Achuta has established through, through his classes. Um, met a lot of really interesting and talented people and a lot of people who are, uh, follow this channel now as well. So shout out to all of my fellow Nightlight Astrology students. Um, but now it's time to leave the nest. It's time to move on and establish my own uh, world. Uh, my own territory, and there is a there is confusion around that phase because everything that you um, leaned on as a point of stability, as a point of support, is uh, not necessarily there in the same way. Not that I couldn't rely on my uh, nightlight astrology friends and and even Achuta if I need to reach out, but it's sort of that energy of of learning to to fly a little bit right learning to leave the nest uh not having that that structure of having a class or two every weekend right where where there is a built-in community that you can exchange ideas with so there's a little bit of growing pains associated with that and i'm feeling that right now as i try to figure out how to take up the mantle of leadership in, in whatever I'm going to create through, through the studies that I've had with him? How am I going to build on the knowledge that I received that was such a gift from being a student of those courses? And how can I add to the conversation and benefit the astrological community and the community at large with the studies that I'm doing and the offerings that I will make? So that this is these are things that we're all going through collectively right now. I just wanted to share that because I can see it playing out in my own life with the sun is in my ninth house, okay, right? With the planet or the house associated with finding meaning, philosophy, higher learning, trying to establish new territory. And um, I think that when we get to the point where we where we're going to get to the um, the square, Okay, eventually we will get to the square with with the Capricorn moon. Um, that's going to be, you know, for me personally, that'll be a sixth house, ninth house square. So how do I, you know, arrange the daily routines, the daily structure, the daily blueprint of my life to support the new um, things that I want to offer, like new classes, like offering more readings, making more videos. I know personally the struggle I've been going through, the, the Mars in Gemini 2 struggle that we see here in the Nine of Swords is just having so many options and so many things that we try to juggle that we feel a little bit of anxiety, really trying to, to master our new situations. And eventually, when Mars moves into the third decade of, of Gemini, a choice will have to be made for us to really... Uh, really keep this new start afloat, we will probably have to let go of some of the things that we're trying to, to juggle. And I wonder what, what I will have to do to be able to free up time to, to maybe concentrate on crafting new curriculum for class offerings and things like that. I may have to um, back off some of these videos or, or maybe try to, um, I don't know, I'm, I, that's something I'm really thinking hard about right now. I may have to uh, just rearrange my daily schedule to support uh, new things that I'm doing. We'll see. I haven't committed to any of those things yet, uh, and I think that I think that we're capable of more than we think. I think that we always have to strive for equilibrium and temperance. One of the cards that I like in the tarot, the Major Arcana card that I've been really resonating with, um, 
quite a bit lately is the card called Temperance. And in that card, you see the Archangel, I believe it's the Archangel Michael, pouring two cups you know, back and forth, trying to find the right mixture, trying to find balance and equilibrium. And that has been one of the greatest life lessons I've experienced over time is how do I find the right balance in my life to, to maintain uh, a good work and life, a good work and play balance, a good uh, professional and domestic balance, a good um, rest versus action balance, all of those things. This, these are something that maybe all of you Pluto and Libra generations out there can, can relate to. But just everybody in general, I think, can relate to this as well. One of the things that I have been studying with the, the Tao and the, the Tao De Ching and, and the I Ching in general is nature's um, desire to return to homeostasis. I actually went on a little bit of a, a digression in the past few days. This is why I didn't release my son video yesterday. As I was reading about Buckminster Fuller, who is, man, what a genius that guy was. And Buckminster Fuller was a philosopher, an inventor. Uh, he was an economist. He was, he was a polymath, right? He was, he was this Renaissance man who, uh, you know, st started his life following along with what society's expectations were for him and then got to this point of depression uh, to the point where he didn't want to live anymore. And he was, he, the story goes is that he was uh, about to commit suicide and he heard a voice from the divine or something saying, this is not your time. You need to go back and serve your community. You need to use your life in service of, of the greater whole and the greater good. And he was, it was just a wake up call. It was a shock to his system. And he went and he spent a lot, a lot of time and energy trying to figure out how to create abundance for um, the world. I mean, he really had large scale visions. He was trying to create homes that were energy efficient. He believed that uh, Jupiter, or he, be he believed that the earth was, he called it his spaceship earth, right? Was that the earth was an organism that was trying to return to a state of balance and that could equally provide for us human beings if we are in service of it. And that is something I wholeheartedly believe in. So when we're going through and trying to establish this new territory, now, just a side note, and I, I, maybe one day I'll do a video on this, but Buckminster Fuller had Jupiter in Cancer, Kazemi of the sun. So he, if you want to know about someone who understands how to create abundance and growth, man, Bucky was the, was the guy, right? He actually had a very similar chart to Nikolai Tesla. I thought that was really interesting as well. Um, and uh, some, some things in common with Elon Musk, I think the three of them have a little bit of a similar vibe. Although I will say Tesla and um, Mr. Fuller have a little bit of a more in common with each other than Elon Musk. I think, I don't know, I have some mixed feelings about Mr. Musk and his motivations. I think Tesla and Fuller had a little bit more altruistic motivations, but I could be wrong. Uh, Mr. Mr. Elon's story is not completely over yet, so we'll see. Um, but anyway, uh, I thought that was a really interesting digression because he's talking about um, when you are doing something that is in service of the whole, it will provide for you. And he, he lived that as part of his life. Like he, he was like, I'm not motivated by uh, this, these selfish kind of things. I'm motivated by service. And he, it sounds like he, was, he did okay over the course of his life. He didn't always have the most uh, communal support for what he was doing. I think probably because he was so far ahead of his time. I think that's one of the things we risk when we are living by divine um, inspiration rather than d internal divine inspiration, rather than external um, expectations where we're trying to please others, right? I think being in service of the whole does not mean that we necessarily have to acquiesce to everyone's expectations. I think that when divine law is different than human law, and when we get in touch with the divine law, 
eventually that can be in great service to the physical manifestation. Okay, so that's my little Buckminster Fuller digression. But again, I thought that was interesting as we go through this very royal deck in with the sun and trying to make this new start and realizing that just whatever energy that we're putting out there, we're going to we're gonna be much more serve, served if we are doing it in, in service of, of um, the whole. And like I said, nature wants to return to balance and equilibrium. Homeostasis. One of his points, sorry, just to finish my thought here. One of his points was that we need to uh, respect the earth and we need to work with it because if we don't, uh, nature is a self-correcting entity that wants to return to balance, which he called homeostasis or what people call homeostasis. And his point being, and one that I've agreed with for many, many years, is that if we don't come into alignment with natural good and natural balance, the earth is going to self-correct us as human beings. We've already seen that with, with climate change and things of that nature. Um, you know, we are not outside of nature. We are part of it. Uh, we are uh, subject to it. And, and we have this arrogance as human beings that we are, you know, masters of it. And I don't think that's the case. I would highly actually disagree with that. This is something that's been passed down from some patriarchal um, interpretations of some of the orthodox religious systems that, is that we are masters of nature. And I, I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that we've made as a, as a species is instead of being stewards and working with it, we think that we have mastery over it. And that, some of that just comes from pure greed pure selfishness and pure misinterpretation of, of um, sacred texts. So I think one of the things you can do is get, get back in touch with sacred feminine while all this yang energy is happening. Um, because I think that's what nature is in general. It's, it, it is kind of this sacred feminine energy. And in that, uh, on that note, I wanted to show you uh, this place of sacred immortal energy here. And this is, uh, this is our star map, because as we are moving forward, we are going to see the sun making a conjunction with a few fixed stars here. You can see here's our sun in the second decan. Here's Venus hanging out very close by. And we have, by projected ecliptical degree, the sun is making contact with this royal family here that is very close to the pole. Here is the North Celestial Pole. Now, one interesting thing is that over the course of a day, the sun will rise and set, and certain constellations will move with the sun. But these circumpolar constellations and stars, uh, they just sort of appear, okay? They, they appear when the sun goes down, and they don't move. They, they are immovable. That's why we have the pole star as a navigational device. We have Polaris here, the pole star. And this royal family talks of places of stability, of, of dignity. We, here we have Cassiopeia. Here is uh, Cepheus, the king. This is Andromeda, the princess. And here is Perseus, the, the uh, I don't know, the hero. And he is holding the head of Medusa, the Gorgon. And um, so there is this kind of immortality kind of vibe around these areas here. We can see that with Thuban. In Draco the dragon, too, was guarding the, the garden of uh, golden apples or the Garden of Eden, if you want to make a biblical reference. Um, but when the sun is conjoining Cepheus, this is happening. Let's take a look here. It's going to be happening around the second. Here it is. Uh, here is, let's see, where is it? Okay, we've got um, Alderamin right here. Okay, in the shoulder of the king. Okay, we project that out. We're going to see a conjunction by projected ecliptical degree at 13 degrees of Aries on April the 2nd. So this, this one is, is a star that was talking about acting and governing with dignity. Now, what does dignity mean? I'd like to go look up definitions so that we have these understanding of these words. I think words have power. Words have logos, right? They have this 
they impart this meaning. They are symbols in and of themselves. So dignity is the state of being worthy of esteem or respect, inherent nobility and worth. So this is where you are carrying yourself with this inner sense of self-worth where you don't necessarily have to prove it. It's like you are, you are this dignified king or queen um, when you have confidence. And I think that the sun in Aries can speak to the need for having self-confidence. There isn't a need to uh, propitiate anyone else. There isn't a need to, to beg people to like you or anything like that. You're just, you just are. And ultimately, you don't, you don't even really need anybody's approval. You just need to kind of be you and do your thing. And that's really kind of how you have this royal dignified nature. This is a way to really resolve a lot of conflicts too. When you know who you are and what you are about, there's no need to fight with anybody because at the end of the day, people can take it or leave it. And that's okay. If you say, this is who I am. This is the, this is the world I'm trying to establish. You can either jump on board the train or you can go your own chosen direction. And I think that the mistake that we make is we feel threatened if someone goes in a different direction than us, but we can't always go and walk the same path as everyone. And we can't expect them to walk the path that we are, or even understand it. In some cases, people didn't understand Buckminster Fuller, but that didn't stop him. He just kept making patents. He kept inventing things. He kept trying to, to follow his own divine guidance to do something good for humanity, to help them uh, in the long term. And people, same thing with Nikolai Tesla. They, he was a misunderstood genius, but he did the right thing anyway. You know, he's someone I would like to research a little bit more. Anyway, the, the last experience I had with him was watching this movie called The Prestige. I don't know if you've all seen it. It's a, it's a great movie, really intense. Uh, it's a Christopher Nolan movie with Christian Bale and... Um, Oh, Hugh Jackman. And uh, David Bowie plays Nikolai Tesla. And he's just kind of doing his thing and inventing his stuff. And really interesting. And anyway, around this early uh, March, I'm sorry, early April timeframe, just important to hold yourself with dignity, to have confidence in your own chosen path without having expectations for people to follow along. And uh, that's going to save you a lot of headache, I think. Now, when we move to the third, the sun will move forward to 14 degrees of Aries, and it will start to make contact with um, a fixed star in Cassiopeia. And that, um, that star, actually over here, sorry. No, that's not it. We're looking for alpharets. There it is. Okay, so here is alpharets. And actually, I was mistaken. I just misspoke there. Alpharets is actually in the constellation of Andromeda, the princess. Now, there, this, there's some duality with this, because as you can see on our screen, it is in kind of the hand of Andromeda here, but it's also in the navel of Pegasus. So we could think of it in two ways. We could think of it as the damsel in distress energy of Andromeda. I think we have the choice of which two directions we can go, where we say, oh, we're we're victims of circumstance, or we can choose to embrace the Pegasus myth with this and, and take independent action. We can seek freedom. We can move with swiftness and with speed. Um, again, I wouldn't move too fast if you're uh, around this period of time, because this is when we're going to see the square between the sun and the moon in Capricorn. Okay. So again, I think that it is important around this period of time to slow down a little bit and really consider the effects of your actions. Now, one thing I did want to show you is here we have Mercury. Now, here's a really interesting phenomenon. The same time that the sun is conjoining Alpharats on the third and the fourth, Mercury is going to be making its uh, morning set, Okay, which basically means that Mercury is direct in motion and is going under the beams of the sun. It's within 15 degrees of the sun. So you could see that here, like the sun is, you know, moving forward here, we've got the sun is in the middle of this, of a sign. This is basically 30 degrees here. And you can see now Mercury is within the 15 degree uh, 
arc of separation. Okay. Now this is this is interesting because it also coincides with Mercury moving into Aries. So we're going to have a shift from Mercury being in this debilitated, exiled state where we were searching for meaning. We were our, our thoughts were getting subsumed in this ocean of consciousness where we were thinking maybe with very poetic ways, but not attending to the details very well, potentially, uh, or we had to work harder to 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 parse out the the um, the details of our life. And now the, the condition of Mercury is improving by sign, but it's being debilitated by being under the beams of the sun. It's like Mercury is going behind the scenes to work something out. And it's going to work it out until it comes into that Kazemi moment, right? Eventually, we're going to have Mercury coming into the heart of the sun around April 18th, okay? I think we're still going to be in late Aries when that happens. So something to consider. We can see Mercury is moving really fast. Here's Venus here. I love watching this. These planets move. You can get an idea of how they move in relationship to one another. So Venus also is still combust, but is separating. And eventually when we get to May, okay, you know, we're going to see Venus uh, come outside of the beams of the sun around May 22nd. There it is, okay, in, in Gemini, okay? But that's not where we're at yet. So there may be an important moment of phasis that happens as Mercury makes its evening set. Perhaps there is some kind of crisis moment at the last quarter moon that is an existential crisis of some sort that causes you to maybe rethink some things, to go behind the scenes and work out what you believe, have some communications with people in your life that isn't necessarily visible, so that when we see these planets get renewed in the heart of the sun and then make their their evening rise, okay, Mercury is going to make its evening rise somewhere, no, oh, I don't know, probably around here, around beginning of May, okay, it's going to separate, that's probably around there, May 4th or 5th. Let's go back to our chart. Now that you kind of have an idea of what we're looking at, let's actually look at this real quick. So you can see that right around that fourth or fifth, Mercury changes signs, goes within 15 degrees of the sun, and eventually Mercury is going to Kazemi at 28 degrees of Aries on April the 18th, just as we were saying. It's, it's so cool when you can actually look at the sky and just see it uh, and understand it like independent of the chart. And here we have the heliacal, um, I guess we would call this the evening rise, not the heliacal rise of Mercury around May the 2nd. Okay. So whatever is, is whatever um, challenges we may face by Mercury going under the beams uh, in, in the early part of April, we will probably be able to work through it and see uh, some resolution to that challenge around the beginning of May, okay? So remember, there are two different, uh, there are two different risings and settings for the inferior planets, Venus and Mercury. We have the direct version, which is called the morning set or the morning rise, okay? Uh, we, I'm sorry, the the heliacal rise, oh God, I'm going to get everybody confused. Let me collect my thoughts. Thank you, Mercury and Pisces. What we're experiencing when Mercury is going under the beams in direct motion is the morning setting. When Mercury goes into the heart of the sun, that's the Kazemi. And when Mercury is direct in motion and emerges from the beams as an evening star, that's called the evening rise. When Mercury or Venus is retrograde, it will make an evening setting when it goes back under the beams, another Kazemi moment, and then it will make its heliacal rising retrograde, okay, when it escapes the beams of the sun and becomes a morning star, all right? And I've, I've explained that in a couple other videos, but I wanted to make it clear here because it's such an important concept, um, especially for if you're waiting for things, this is a, a, a you know, a tip, if you're waiting for things to happen out in the world, really pay attention to these synodic cycles where 
these planets are, are making appearances again after being under the beams of the sun. People are, you've been asking me things like, when is the money going to come? When is this going to happen? I had a client the other day that was, had some, some second house stuff going on. And I looked at it and I, I talked about Venus's heliacal, um, actually Venus's evening rise as being a point where a lot of clarity may be coming because uh, this person had a Gemini second house and there, some clarity around resources may be happening when Venus makes an appearance there. So that's something to really look at at your chart, okay? Like really see where something is going to become clear. I'm just thinking about this and extrapolating this into my own chart. All right, so you'll get an idea here. When, and I'll just show you my natal chart here because I, I love going over praxis here. Um, going to show you how this would work if I was reading for a client. And reach out for a reading if you're if you need to work some of this stuff out. Um, I'd be happy to sit down and work stuff out with you because this is something that in my practice has become really important. So if we look here, I am looking now at Mercury going under the beams, okay, around this period of time, around April third or fourth. So this is where Spencer. Okay, you can see my, in my chart, Spencer's probably going to be really reconsidering in the beginning of April, what kind of things does he want to teach as far as classes go and going behind the scenes and crafting the new curriculum for the classes that are probably going to be offered in May when Venus makes its uh, evening rise in my 11th house of groups. Okay, here's another thing that you might expect if you're wanting to study with me with classes. So you can see that you know, we'll go through that behind the scenes, working it out. We'll have the Kazemi moment, okay? And then Mercury is going to go into my 10th house, and it's going to make its heliacal, uh, I'm sorry, it's going to make its evening rise, you know, around May 1st or 2nd. So I wonder if there will be some news in my career about, something that becomes more visible when Mercury makes its its evening rise. So keep your eyes peeled for that. You know, uh, see see what happens. I'll, I'll keep you up to date with all of these things. And look in your own chart. Look in your own Taurus-ruled area and Aries-ruled area as what you may be going and reevaluating for a period of time behind the scenes over the next month, over the month of April. And then where could it, it, it appear and manifest again when Taurus season comes around? And then where will there will be another um, peak experience in the Gemini area of your chart where Venus is going to be making that um, evening rise as well in the end of May? All right. So uh, again, one of the, the other things to consider is just needing to make adjustments to your plan as we get to this uh, last quarter moon phase, you're really reconsidering. Uh, there is going to be some reconsidering of what is happening and what you are doing and how you are establishing this new territory as we see the moon at 14 or 15 degrees of Capricorn making a square with the sun at 14, 15 degrees of Aries. And you can all um, have some sympathy for me because the, this last quarter moon square is in a big old T-square with my natal sun at 15 degrees of cancer. That'll be fun. Um, so, you know, <laughs> have some patience with me around that period of time. Okay. So I just wanted to uh, end this with an I Ching reading. I'll get rid of my chart here. And I like to use, you know, my own experiences as teaching tools uh, I, I, I promise I'm trying not to be too self-centered with some of this stuff. I just, I use my own experiences because I know both the external manifestation of those experiences and I understand the internal process that led to that. And that's the only internal external process that I will fully be able to understand. I will never be able to be inside someone else's head unless they share something with me, but still it's not the same it's not the same as as uh speaking from your own experience this is something that 
Buckminster Fuller was really, um, he really talked a lot about was, you know, not letting the dogma over supersede your lived experience. He was, he had some vision problems when he was young and he, he would literally, you know, when he was learning, he had to really bring things. He had to examine them up really close and feel them. And, and, and I wonder if he had some like extra, extra sensory perception because he would, he would challenge his teachers and say, what color is a triangle? You know, like, you know, he was like, what temperature? He was like, what temperature is a triangle? <laughs> it's like, he would think that way. That's, that's this, the way his brain would work. And um, I think it's really beautiful. And I, I want to learn more about him. So what I'm doing is I'm, I am drawing on the screen the hexagram that I pulled for the sun in Aries 2, the place of its exaltation. And I actually got number six, which is conflict. Moving to hexagram number 10, which is conduct. Okay, so a couple other names for hexagram number six, arguing, conflict, pleading your case. The two trigrams that we see are the three solid lines on top, which is called heaven. And we have the, a broken line, a solid line, and a broken line, which translates to water. And, you know, water water is kind of this confusing thing in the in the I Ching. It's where we're, we are, you know, kind of, we don't, we haven't mastered this, this particular thing yet. Um, you could think of this hexagram as heaven or, or air moving upward and the water that wants to flow downhill and they're moving away from each other. So there's an inherent conflict in those two natural forces, according to this system. Uh, so this, this may be a point in our journey to establish ourselves as sovereign states, individual sovereign free states where we are really trying to convince other people of the validity of what we're doing, where we are maybe even trying to convince ourselves of the validity of what we're doing. That's, that's true in my case, always arguing with myself over what the manifestation is. Um, I want to say that this last quarter moon phase we're going to be going through is an existential crisis. Uh, if you looked, if you were a, an astute observer of astrology, you would have noticed that um, in the chart of, that I put up of my own chart, I have a last quarter moon in my own chart. So I live this existential crisis energy all the time. And what I will say is, is it's always a second guessing of yourself. It's always a, uh, a weighing of experience versus your internal lived, lived experience. And in general, the moon is, is shedding light around this period of time. So you are disseminating Okay, you're giving things away. You're releasing old things that aren't serving you. So, in, you know, with this with this hexagram number six, uh, we may have to let go of some parts of our plan so that we can, you know, feed what needs to live. And and we may be trying to get into a battle with whether it's internal or external. And we have to make sure that we're using our the right conduct to move forward. Um, if you are a last quarter moon phase type of person, if you have a square between the moon and the sun with the, the moon in the overcoming position, uh, you may change your mind a lot. You may uh, really feel like you have to let go of old belief systems. This is something I've experienced quite a bit living this phase is um, the way that I create success is through leaving the past behind, whether it is past beliefs past situations. Uh, it is saying, okay, this isn't serving me anymore. It's time for me to let that go. There's been a lot of letting go with this phase because we're preparing ourselves for the new cycle. We're letting go of everything in this old lunar cycle. There's one changing line in this hexagram. Um, and before I move on to the changing line, I just want to say that one of the ways to resolve a conflict is trying to get a higher perspective within yourself. Uh, we may be feeling frustrated because of so many options that we have with Mars moving through the second decan of Gemini. We may have some resistance and some frustration. Uh, so maybe it's internal. Again, Gemini, I would say, in my explorations of Gemini and its associations with the 12th house in the Thema Mundi, a lot of these 
problems that we have, these Gemini problems are internal um, difficulty with dealing with our internal duality, difficulty with, with resolving something within ourselves before we are able to, to bring something to fruition and, and to bring it into a flowering state. Okay. So again, you know, keep your balance, keep your equilibrium, be prepared to make a choice eventually uh, because very shortly after uh, this, this cycle, Mars is going to move into the third decan of Gemini requiring you to let go of one of these options you're trying to, to balance out right now. So the changing line is number six. It's at the base. It's at the foundation of this hexagram. It's, it's very concerned with earthly matters, I would say. The bottom of these hexagrams are earthly. The top is more about the idealistic realms. So this one's talking about choosing your battles wisely. This, uh, they, they speak in multiple translations about ending a conflict quickly before it blows up or spins out of control. So, you know, set aside your differences in small matters. Really um, get back in touch with the bigger picture. This may be the Saturn, you know, sextile that we're experiencing. And realize that, you know, the, the adversary that you're pushing against and you're fighting against may actually be stronger than you or have more resources. Now, whether this is something that you've externalized as some kind of external enemy that you're contesting with, or if this is the internal demons that you're wrestling with, you know, don't, don't fall prey to it, you know, like just set aside those little differences, those petty differences, and refocus on your bigger picture. Here's one example of this. I spent the last three days researching, the recent reason I, I was researching Buckminster Fuller is he has a really interesting way of thinking about economics. And I was thinking about how do I want to uh, charge for the class that I want to offer in the spring? Do I want to have a sliding scale? Do I want to have multiple different ways people could um, pay, donation-based, all of these little things? And <laughs> that, that is a, a, a minor inner conflict in comparison to actually um, designing the class itself. <laughs> do, you see, do you see how you can get focused on a, on a trivial matter that is moving away from the actual essence of what you wanted to do? And for me, I have to say, okay, that stuff will work itself out. Um, yes, it's important, but it's not, as, it's not as important as just actually designing the core um, you know, outline of the class that I want to teach the, the, the meat of it, you know, <laughs> like this is, this is, these are Virgo problems. I have, I have Jupiter, Saturn and Mars all in Virgo. And I, I, every once in a while you can get too fixated on this, these tiny little mechanizations, but the, the key when you experience that is to let that go, refocus on the big picture, zoom out a little bit, uh, you know, readjust and you'll be okay. Now this, this line talks about, you know, things are going to turn out all right. Um, Try not to go too far against the grain. Um, try not to get too distracted. Refocus on that big picture and, and you're going to be all right. Number 10 is called conduct or treading or right conduct. This one talks about treading on the tail of a tiger. And if you know, if you know anything about tigers, you probably don't want to step on its tail. So you might need to step very carefully around a tiger. And this tiger may be your own inner demons. This tiger may be the situation that you're trying to establish. Um, Hillary Barrett asks you, what, where is the tiger? Do you know how to work with such power? Um, I think you can talk about how can you conduct yourself with grace? How can you step carefully? Perhaps you're having a difficult time. How can you behave with decorum and dignity like these royal... Uh, stars are asking you to do like this um, exalted sun is asking you to do is to to organize your world with dignity with grace you don't have to force the matter you don't have to be a, a despot and 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 require everyone to conform to what you are doing completely you can just establish the ground rules and say you can follow them or not you don't have to force people over to your viewpoint um the main thing is maintaining your poise and your composure. A king does not like get all flustered. Think about a lion. If you want to think about it with royal dignity, right? You know, the lion is, he doesn't have to get all upset. He doesn't have to make a big scene. He knows he's the king of the jungle 
And he engenders respect by just being himself and being the most powerful badass, you know, <laughs> that he could be. And I think that, that that's a great way to, to move through this time period is, you know, have dignity, have composure, keep your emotional equilibrium, practice temperance and um, practice patience and recognize that there are going to be behind the scenes things that you're going to have to work out before the, the flowering that's probably going to happen closer to the middle or the end of May. All right. Can you do that? Good. Okay. So that's what I've got for you today. I hope that that was helpful for all of you. I very much enjoy bringing you uh, translation from the stars. If you are enjoying these videos and these offering, the, the easiest thing you can do is hit that like button. Uh, make sure that you are subscribed to the Spencer Michaud Astrology channel on YouTube. Um, another way that you can support the work that I do is you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com. Uh, I got this video out today with the help of some Erba Mate tea. Cheers from the Moose Mug to all of you. Thank you for your support. It does help me do this work. You are keeping the lights on and uh, supporting the work that I do, and I appreciate it 100%. So thank you for that. Another thing you can do to support the work that I do and get some more insight into your own life is to reach out and book a reading. The books are open right now, so if you would like to schedule a reading, I do have a, a, a link below in these videos or at my website. There is a book now button, and uh, there is a list of all the different offerings that I have. I do fixed star things. I do decanic tarot. I will look at your natal chart. I do uh, transits that are we uh, months ahead, transits and all of those things. So reach out for that as well if you need guidance. I very much enjoy speaking with clients. I do a lot of preparation for my readings. You'll get at least two or three pages of very detailed notes about your chart. Um, and you'll get a recording. So uh, those are things to think about if you want to reach out and support and get a little benefit and guidance along the way. All right, everyone, that's what I have for you today. Thank you so much for supporting this channel and for listening. And uh, be kind to one another over the course of this uh, solar cycle. And most of all, be kind to yourself. Try to resolve some of those inner existential crises. Be patient. It'll all be all right. And I'll see you the next time. Peace.